worship you without being persecuted. So, Lord God, even uh, with this environment, Lord God, there are still things that are in the way that's preventing us, Lord God, from hearing those kernel of truth, Lord God, that you want us to know today. So, Father, for all those things that are trying to hinder us, Lord God, we ask you that you would give us the strength uh, to move those things out of the way, even as we put on the full armor of God and stand strong in your word. So, Lord God, you have your way. Shower down your love upon us and the blood of Jesus Christ over our minds and our hearts and our spirits. It is in the matchless name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Today we continue on this series we began last week on contend for the faith, or even contend for your faith. And quite extraordinary because this letter of Jew to believers is it's not full of the typical uh, encouragement that we hear in the church. Because Jude has a purpose, and he has a purpose of dealing with uh, folks who are not good for the church. And sometimes uh, when there are people who are not good for the church, uh, you have to do, like they say, you just have to tell it like it is. So Jude is not one of those books that you may get up and shout over. But it is one of those books that God wants us to pay attention, and this is why this very short letter is in the Bible in the first place. So we move forward today, and we enter into this letter, beginning in verse 5 of Jude. And here Jude, he warns believers, he warns you and I, given the past experiences and examples of others. Verse 5. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, he says, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So here Jude, he wants us to look at the past with sobriety and humility, realizing that rebellion is not viewed favorably by the Lord. <laughs> Go figure, right? That God doesn't like rebellion. Here in verse 5, uh, we see something very striking. And I'm not sure if you caught that or not, uh, but you may have noticed that it says here that, uh, that Jesus saved people out of Egypt. Uh, you should have read that, right? If you've never read 
uh, this epistle, that you should have read that, and instantly you should have said, hold on, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What do you mean Jesus saved people out of Egypt? What are you talking about? We know for fact that Jesus, as we know him to be, was not mentioned in the Old Testament. What he's saying is that Jesus saved the Hebrews out of Egypt. Remember the old song uh, about uh, telling Pharaoh to do what? To let my people go. We always knew that it was Moses who delivered those folks. So we say, right? So if that's true, if it was Moses, or if God did it through Moses, how could Jesus be the one to deliver these people out of Egypt? So is the Bible finally wrong? Did we finally catch an error in the Word of God? And if you know God, you know the answer to that question. And the answer to that question is a resounding no. So if there is no error, and if it was Jesus who saved them, but I've read uh, the book of Exodus over and over again, and never once did I see Jesus, then what gives? Simply remember this. God the Son has always existed. But he only became known as Jesus in his incarnation, in his uh, godness being enfleshed in this person we now call Jesus. Therefore, as we know from Scripture, and even as the book of Colossians and other books also verify this and validate this at the same time, that Jesus was always active in all of creation. You're saying, wait a minute, well, let's turn to John chapter 1, because I hear some of you are still doubting that. Let's look at the Gospel of John, chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. And you know this first verse very well. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 3, we know that the Word is the Lagos, and the Lagos is Jesus Christ. Verse 3, it says, What all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In other words, Jesus created all things. And if Jesus created all things, that means that he was also present when he delivered uh, the sons of Israel, uh, when he delivered Israel out of Egypt, or the Hebrews out of Egypt. Jude is helping us understand this. So if you think that Jesus only came into being uh, when he was born of the Virgin Mary at that one particular point in time in which we celebrate Christmas, remember that Jesus has always existed. And if Jesus did not always exist, he would no longer be God. Jesus existed in eternity past, but as the Son of God. 
unknown by us as such. Well, there's more. As another example, Paul mentions Jesus being the rock who provided the Hebrews with water when they were in the wilderness. So after Pharaoh had let, God, uh, had let God's people go, right, he delivered them, uh, Paul says that while they were in the wilderness, that it was Jesus, and he was the one that provided water to them. So now it was, it's not only Jude, but now Paul is saying the same thing. Well, what are you talking about? 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Beginning in verse 1. 1 Corinthians 10, beginning in verse 1. Four verses. <clears throat> For I do not want you to be unaware, or, as the original language tells us, I don't want you to be ignorant. Nobody likes to be called ignorant. Now, Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, sisters, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, verse 3, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, here it is, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. So what provided the substance there for the children of Israel? Again, it was Jesus Christ. So Jude tells believers, those reading this letter, and now uh, from, from, from many, many years uh, from the past, he speaks to us today, and he tells us to remember. So if you didn't know, now you know that Jesus was present there as well. The question is, how many of us did not know this? And if you didn't know that before, that's okay. Today, you now know. But why is it that we struggle with things like this? Because oftentimes it requires much prayer, to be honest. It requires much study that oftentimes Christians, believers, uh, they, they, they fail to make an effort to understand God more deeply. Because we don't want to pick up God's Word to do all the hard stuff, to do all the flipping back and forth to read, to know what God is trying to say. But not only that, back in Jude, verse 6, we saw that the angels, that they operated beyond their duties, that they await, awaited in chains for judgment. And then verse 7, that the Sodomites and the Gomorrahites, I'll call them, that they underwent a tangible example of what punishment was through eternal fire, what that was like. Remember, God rained down fire upon Sodom and Gomorrah and all the suburbs around them. God rained down fire on Sodom, Gomorrah, and all the suburbs around. It's like saying, you know, uh, the city of, uh, of Chicago, as an example, it is so wicked, I just hope that God would just rain down his judgment just like he did for Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, when God rained down his judgment and his wrath on Sodom and Gomorrah, but he also took care of all those other little bitty suburbs as well because they were like-minded. They were like, so don't think 
that you get a pass just because you live in the burbs somewhere. You would be wrong. So now we have seen the past examples in Scripture of those who rebelled against God. Let's look now at the characteristic of these apostates, these unfaithful leaders. And Jude gives us characteristics of these condemned, as we learned last time, and ungodly people. Jude, uh, verse 8. Yet in like manner these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. Know about the past again. Why? Because it informs our present, and also our future. This section begins with, yet in like manner these people. Uh, this indicates a clear comparison between the folks in the past that Judas mentioned, like Sodom and Gomorrah and, 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 and the fallen angels, right? And even Kor, we'll see in one second, right? He makes a comparison between them and the folks who are present at that time. Yet in like manner connects us with that section which mentions the destroyed people of Egypt. And again, those fallen angels who had crossed the line, they thought that they were uh, just as good as God was. God, I'm just as bad as you are. Now, today, people think that just because God has not rained down his judgment uh, that uh, things continue the way they have always continued and nothing is going to happen. They believe that because there have been no judgment and I see all this wickedness happening and I see all this going on over here that uh, there can't be a God. Because if there is a God, that means that he would come and bring judgment, but he hasn't. Therefore, I completely dismiss all of the word of God as a big old giant fairy tale. Not true. Verse 8 says as well that they relied upon their dreams. They so these apostate leaders, these unbelieving folks, they relied upon their dreams. I hear what you're saying as well. Some of you may wonder, well, wait a minute, I have dreams all the time. I believe that, you know, the Lord is talking to me here, and the Lord is talking to me there, and I believe that, that, that it's God, every time I have that dream, that God is trying to tell me something. But relying upon your dreams as being dependable would be akin to doing something that comes most natural to you. But doing what is most natural could be the most sinful thing you ever do. So just because you are relying upon a dream, you might be relying upon a demon to direct your life. In other words, you have a dream and you automatically think it's connected with the future. But I want you to know that all dreams are not created equal. While God, and here it is now, I have to give a disclaimer, right? God can speak to you through and in a dream. 
But it's also true that sometimes demonic spirits can grab hold of your mind and shake you so that you start to believe that stuff and you start to act upon it and it is not of the Lord. A simple fact. Because we live in the spirit world. We live in a, a tangible world where things that we can touch are things that we can move, we can walk, uh, we can knock things over, we can do all types of things. But the reality is we live in a spiritual world. So we must know the difference between when is God speaking in our dreams and when is he not speaking in our dreams. When should we be afraid and when should we not be afraid? So looking at this, we notice that Jude makes a connection between the apostate people and also the folks of biblical past. For instance, he says that uh, these current apostate leaders or, or, or these believers who really don't have God's, or, or peop God, God's people's best interests at heart, he said that they defile the flesh. Well, much like uh, Sodom and Gomorrah did. He mentioned Sodom and Gomorrah. He says that they reject authority. Well, much like the angels, and so did Korah, in, in, in their rebellion, that they rejected authority. And then he says that they blaspheme the glorious one, as much like the fallen angels did concerning God, and even the Egyptians, how they would blaspheme God, saying there is no other God other than the God that they serve, which would be their gods like Ray. But we need to look at something also very carefully. We need to look at this idea of blaspheming. Why? Because as we go on, uh, we will notice that uh, Jude begins now uh, to center in and to focus on this aspect of, of, of blaspheming. And some of you may have heard about the severe judgment and what it means to blaspheme the Lord. And you may even wonder if you've done it yourself. Have I ever blasphemed God? Because we know there's severe judgment. Let's read this. Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. Beginning in verse 28. Mark 3, 28. Jesus says, Truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. So Jesus says, all your sins and all the blasphemies that you may rack up in your life, Jesus says, you're going to be forgiven. So it's like, ah, relief. Look at verse 29. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. So now we have to make that connection. Uh, well, even blasphemy will be forgiven us. Everything except that in which we blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Well, what does it mean to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? It simply means this. Anytime you attribute the work of the Holy Spirit to the devil, you are blaspheming God. Anytime you are attributing uh, the work 
of God, I should say, to the devil, you blaspheme God. Okay? So let's say that, uh, let's say that someone, someone accepts the Lord. They accept them in, 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 in such a, uh, a powerful way and they come to the Lord. Someone may say that, well, that may not be God's, uh, I don't think God is doing anything in their life. God is not strong enough to change them. You could be denying the work of the Holy Spirit. So anytime we equate the obvious work of the Holy Spirit, obvious, to that of darkness, then we run the risk of blaspheming, which is unforgivable in God's sight. So you may be wondering yourself, well, I know I've, you know, I've called people in my day, you know, they've gone to church, I call them holy rollers and things like that. But I tell you this, the fact that you're listening to this message, the fact that you want to be right with God, that tells me that your heart has not been seared into unforgiveness. The fact that you want more of God, that tells me you have been forgiven. So if you have been forgiven, say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. This issue is so vital that Jude, he goes on to expand in his writing about blasphemy. Verse 9 in Jude, Michael the archangel didn't bring accusation against the devil about a dispute that they had over the body of Moses. Verse 9, but when the archangel, Michael, contending with the devil was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebukes you. So he says, devil, the Lord rebukes you. But I know some of us, we talk about the devil. I've heard a song, the devil's under my feet. I'm stomping him, stomping him, stomping him. Oh, look at the devil. He ain't nothing. Right? Then what happens to those folks over time? Sometimes it seems like the devil may get an upper hand in their life. That's why when we are in the midst of a battle, we are in the midst of a spiritual warfare, we must rely upon God and His Word to give us guidance because it's only through God and His Word and His Spirit that we have the victory. We are more than conquerors in Him that loves us. Think about that again. The archangel Michael, the chief angel, Head angel, right? He got a title, right? Michael has a title that he even refused to bring a word against the devil. Think about that. That tells us that we really must be careful about what we say about folks, right? We must be careful about what we say about the angels. Uh, but if we say what Scripture says, that we are in, 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 in good company, right? Michael the archangel, he appeared before the Lord on a regular basis to give account of his ministry. He refused to do the very thing that the devil is accused of doing. In fact, we know uh, the word Satan, uh, that it means accuser. You see that? 
The archangel Michael refused to accuse the devil, but the devil, also known as Satan, is also known as the accuser of the brethren. Therefore, he himself is full of blasphemy. The devil is full of blasphemy. The angels know better. The question is, do we? How far do we go in accusing someone of being the devil? or being led by the devil unless we have good biblical guidance and support to do so. Well, in my life as a minister, I have been falsely accused. Say falsely accused. Falsely. Falsely accused of either being the devil or being led by the devil. I have been accused. Nice old me have been accused of being the devil or led by the devil from other Christians. You may ask yourself, well, you're such a nice guy. I don't see why anybody would ever want to call you a devil in the first place. I know some of you say, I, I know why, right? Uh, no, 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 no. The reason they called me devils is because they came to me like wolves in sheep clothes came to me and they had ulterior motives. And then they were trying to manipulate me to agree with them or to get me to do something. And then when I looked at them and I told them, absolutely not. They're like, what do you mean? So I explained my position. I said, it's not right, so on and so forth. And then immediately they say, you ain't nothing but the devil, that you are led by the devil. I mean, what preacher that you know wants to be accused of being the devil? It made me want to fight, you know, sure. In the spirit, that is. In fact, that's exactly what I did. That's all, that's all you really can do, else you risk going to jail. Uh, therefore, uh, I just begin to fight in the spirit because uh, they want me to agree with their position, and I know uh, that their position was incorrect Therefore, we had to move in a different place. So if you don't agree with me, just say, I don't agree with you. You don't have to call me. You don't have to do that and call me the devil. But uh, suffice it to say that I've been called the devil a lot of times in my ministry, uh, more times than I care to even remember, by both friends and foes. So uh, we must have that certain level of confidence within ourselves to withstand the attacks when they come. Amen? Our confidence is in the Lord and the work which His Spirit does in and through us. Yet some people have no qualms about attacking another believer even when they don't have all their facts together. I tell you, we must know. We must be careful. We must careful. Why? Because we see that uninformed people, that they don't hesitate in blaspheming what they don't understand. Uninformed people don't hesitate in blaspheming what they don't understand. A Jude, verse 10. There it is. You can't get any clearer than this. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand. And 
they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning, uh, unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. In other words, they're quick to criticize even when they don't fully understand the limitations of their own knowledge. Their predisposition in their judgments, uh, just like animals, they're just like animals who operate on instincts. We know that some scholars suggest that the smart things that animals do, they're just like people. They're able to think, well, no, they can't. They operate on instinct. But we know that these animals, uh, that they will never be able to work a computer. Amen? God has programmed this into their DNA. They can't help it. They don't think twice about it. Nor do they demonstrate a willingness to learn. Ungodly people are just like wild animals. They're just like the wolves, just like the squirrels that you see. What do you mean just like the squirrels? You know how it is. Those crazy squirrels, they come in your yard, right, and they bury nuts and food all under your grass and in the dirt. And then later when they try to go find it, they can't remember what it, where they put it at, so they start tearing up the rest of your yard. People who operate on instinct in the spiritual world are just like that. They are operating according to sin, not according to spirit. So now Jude, he gives us a warning about all those folks who have these tendencies. Verse 11. And here it is, uh, that great word. Anytime that you hear it in scripture, uh, whoever this is intended for, they're in big trouble with God. Here it is, verse 11. Woe to them. For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's, Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. So the end doesn't look good for these individuals. Number one, they walked in the way of Cain. Remember, Cain wanted to serve the Lord the way that he wanted to do it. And when God uh, corrected him, he became vindictive towards his own brother and rebellious towards God. But what about those who abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's era. Here it is. They compromised their spirituality for financial benefit. One of the things I hate, I was, I was watching um, the television uh, just, I think it was yesterday or day before yesterday, whenever it was. And uh, one of the things that on this particular show, uh, I think there was like a, uh, it was one of the shows that you may be familiar with, and there was a choir that was singing, right? And they were singing, singing really well. They took, I guess, a pop song, and, and, and for them, they contextualized it, I guess, to, 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 to speak about the Lord, because at the end of the song, they pointed up, which means, I guess, they were pointing to God, right? But the rest of it was, you know, pretty much exactly the way you would normally hear it. So uh, these individuals who were judging them, they all stood up and they gave them a rousing uh, uh, standing ovation and they were clapping for them because they were like, in your face, you know how it is, right? But then one of the judges says, just like I've, I've never been to church, but I can imagine it's just like be, me being in church, right? And all the excitement going on and then, you know, uh, we can pass the plates all around. So the message that he gives concerning the church is passing the plate all around. And unfortunately, uh, that is the perception that some folks have of the church because there are people who are in the ministry who do church to 
for the benefit of passing the plate around for themselves. Well, not just that. Some say, yeah, I've heard of preachers just like that. But what about folks in the church? I know, I know personally, I know personally uh, people who join certain churches because they want to get recognized and get notoriety within the church. Because they know that a church is going to be on television and, they, and, and let's say they're going to be uh, traveling, they're going to join the choir, they want to get a solo, they want to get a record deal, right? So even within the church, not just here on the pulpit, but also out there where you sit, folks, they're part of churches because they want to get something other than Jesus. Then he says they will also perish in their rebellion. Similar to the end of Korah and their tribe. For Korah and his friends, the earth cracked open. Remember that? Because Korah told Moses, Moses, you ain't the only one who can do church around here. You ain't the only one. We just as bad as you are. Remember the story I told you about the one time I told my father, I'm just as big as a man as you are, Dad. Remember I told you how he knocked me on the ground? Cor walked up to Moses, I'm just as bad as you are. Moses said, man, y'all don't know what y'all doing. And Korah said, yes, we are. Yes, we just as bad as you are. And so God said, okay, so you're just as bad as Moses, okay. Because I remember talking to Moses, and I've never spoken to you. Uh, so, so God calls the earth to open up. And you remember what happened to Cor and all those folks who sided with him? They all fell in. They all fall down, right? Uh, they all fell into that crack and they were destroyed. Why? Because of rebellion. God does not like rebellion. Okay? I'll say it again. God does not like rebellion. I don't know. Maybe some of you need to say that with me. Come on. God does not like rebellion. Children? Children, if you are in your household and you are rebelling against your parent, I want you to know that God does not like rebellion, whether it's towards him, whether it's towards authority in the world, or whether it's towards your parents. God does not like rebellion, and he will deal with you sooner or later. Remember that. God will deal with you. God hates rebellion. So God, he wants to be clear about these individuals. So scripture adds more characteristics. And I'm just going to read these and, and then I'm going to stop because I'm well past our time. Verses 12 and 13. These are hidden reefs at your love feast. And they feast with you without fear. I'm talking about these apostate or these people who are heretical. Shepherds feeding themselves. Waterless clouds swept along by winds. Fruitless trees in late autumn. <laughs> twice dead, uprooted. While waves of the sea Passing up the foam of their own shame, 
wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. We'll give you a chance to finish studying the rest of the passage and we'll see what you come up with next week as I continue through the epistle of Jude. Let's pray.